0: Uh, we did the teaching group uh, over the last eight months, or six months or so, and um, it's just been absolutely exciting to have different ones contribute and, and to speak. But when Joe shared his message with us, we just felt like it was a message from God for us as a church that really needed to be shared, and so we sent him back to uh, make it a bit longer than ten minutes. Uh, which is what you have to fit it into in the preaching group. And I'm just really, really excited to have him speak to us today. And I'm sure that God's going to really speak to you and to pastor you as well. So I just want to welcome you. Joe, go for it. Thank you, Rob. Um, As Rob said, I first did this message a couple of months ago um the passage that we're looking at is psalm 119 which is the longest chapter in the bible and um, to be honest i can't quite remember in the first place why i chose um to speak on it but um got got some encouragement from rob so here i am uh you'll be pleased to know i'm not going to read the whole psalm out because that will take us about the entirety of the talk but um, if you've got a Bible with you, why don't you turn to Psalm 119 now, and I just want to start by reading the first 16 verses. "Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in His ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. I will not forget your word. And the psalm carries on like that for about another 160 verses. Um, So I thought we'd pause there. Um, Just a little bit of background on the psalm. Um, Actually, very little is known about it. So we certainly don't know who the author of the psalm is. So I'll just be referring to the psalmist throughout today. Um, We're also not really sure when it was written. Um, Some scholars have guessed that it may have been after Israel had come back from exile. But again, we're we're not really certain about that. So we can't take too much from the background of the psalm. Um, What we can see, though, is in quite a specific format. So it is written as a kind of a praise poem to be sung, um, but organised in a very rigid way. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, you may notice there's... Um, these headings you get throughout, like Aleph and Beth, and many more that I won't attempt to pronounce. And um, what these are, these are all of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And the psalmist took each letter and started the first line of each verse with that letter, um, which is why um, we've got um, all of these different sections throughout the psalm. Um, so we can bear in mind that it was originally meant to be sung And to be a praise poem, but I think the truths that come out of it are just so exciting and so kind of universally applicable that its background and its structure doesn't actually matter too much. And the really big idea of Psalm 119 and what I want us to think about today is that the psalmist delights so much in God's word and then he applies God's word to the whole of his life So he delights in God's word and then he applies God's word to the whole of his life. And those are my two headings for today. So firstly, the psalmist delights in God's word. And just to start with, if you look down at the first eight verses and when I read it through, you may have noticed there's lots of different words seemingly pointing to the same thing. So in verse one, we've got... Um, who walk in the law of the Lord. In verse 2, we've got those who keep his testimonies. In verse 4, precepts. Verse 5, statutes. Verse 6, commandments. Verse 7, rules. Verse 9, according to your word. I think when I first read this psalm, I wasn't quite sure what to make of this. I thought, is this guy a bit obsessed with doing things de la letter? Is he a bit of a legalist? what's going on here? What is it with all of these words? Um, but actually, what all of these words are pointing to, are uh, just reflecting slightly different aspects of, is God's revelation to the psalmist. So God's total revelation to the psalmist. And if you look at verse 14, um, we see, in the way of your testimonies, I delight. So actually, clearly, the psalmist isn't Um, just caught up in rules or obligations. He's got delight, he's got joy, he's got wonder in his soul about what God had revealed to him. So thinking about when the psalmist wrote this, what is it that God would have revealed to him? What was it that he was delighting in? Well, at that time, um, Israel would have had the Torah from God, and the Torah was God's covenant revelation God's promises that he had made to Israel as a nation, as his particular chosen people at that time. Um, And that is in part preserved for us in the first five books of the Bible, often known as the books of Moses. And so these words, these promises that God had revealed to Israel, this is the subject of this psalm. This is what the psalmist is delighting in so much. Um, So there are kind of six things going through the psalm um, that I noted about how the psalmist goes about um, delighting in God's word. How does the psalmist go about delighting in God's word? Um, But before we look at those six things, I think it would be helpful to think about what does God's word mean for us today? Because as we're going through these things, we might be thinking, well, how can I apply that? How does that affect me? But unless we actually know what God's word means for us today, um, that might not be so helpful. So let's just take a couple of minutes to think about that. Well, God's word for us today is the same as it was for the psalmist in the sense that it's his revelation to us. It's his promises. It's what he's spoken. It's what he's established to us. And the way in which he has ultimately and most fully done that is in the person of Jesus Christ himself. It's in revealing Jesus to us and all that he's done that we get the most full revelation of God. But obviously we need to know um, what, that, what that was because we're living 2,000 years later. And so all of that is testified to in the whole canon of scripture, in the whole of the Bible. It's a testimony to God's revelation to us in Jesus Christ. So it's right for us to think of the word of God both as Jesus himself, as the ultimate word of God, but also what we have preserved in the Bible, and which we believe comes straight from God. So that's what we're to think about as God's revelation to us, both scripture and Jesus, which scripture testifies to. So going back to the psalmist then, um, the first way we see him delighting um, in God's word in this psalm, if we go to verse two, it said, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. And what the psalmist is doing, he is refusing to separate delighting in God's word with delighting in God himself. The psalmist refuses to take one, but not the other. And the reason for this is because if you want to delight in God's word, but not in God himself you could end up in a position where you're very happy to receive moral guidance, good instruction for life, but not actually that interested in a relationship with God. And likewise, on the other side, you could want everything that God promises and you could want to know God. But if you're not actually that interested in what he said about himself, and that can be quite a superficial acceptance of God. So I think we really can't separate the two. So delight in God's word. And delight in God uh, really go hand in hand, and we see the psalmist do that in verse two. And the second thing to note about how the psalmist delights in God's word is he accepts the totality of what God has revealed to him. He doesn't pick and choose; he he accepts it all. Verse thirteen says, "With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth." And turning over to verse one hundred and twenty-eight, he says. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. And I think this is a really hard challenge for us. I think it's a really hard challenge to say to God, actually, I accept everything. I accept the warnings as well as the promises. I accept the hard teachings as well as the encouraging teachings. I accept the things that maybe I don't even understand as well as the things I may understand more. Um, But that is the challenge that the psalmist lays down here. And it's a challenge I think we can take up ourselves. Will we accept entirely what God has revealed to us? The third thing is that in verse 15, the psalmist says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. And again in verse 48, "Um, I will lift my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. So clearly this idea of meditation upon God's word um, is central to the psalmist's worship of God um, and to how he responds to the Torah, to God's revelation to him. So that got me thinking, well, what, what does it mean? What does it mean to meditate on God's word? And I think meditation can have quite a negative connotation in some way because we can maybe think of the idea of meditation in Buddhism or other Eastern religions, where it's all about kind of emptying yourself and letting all kinds of things in and influencing you. But actually, the Christian idea of meditation is very different. Rather than emptying ourselves, the idea of Christian meditation is to fill ourselves with the truth of God, is to fill ourselves with the knowledge of God and what he has revealed to us. So when the psalmist says, I will meditate on your word, he is really trying to fill his heart, really trying to fill his mind with what God has revealed. So what might meditation look like for us with the Bible today? Well, on one level, it may just be when we 're reading our Bibles, taking some time out to pause and reflect and to let's sing into our hearts what God is actually saying through these verses. It might be trying to memorize some verses, and um, so, as the psalmist says, they're dwelling dwelling in our hearts, so they're always there. And it's really about just soaking ourselves up in God's word with the help of his Holy Spirit and being filled with his truth. So we see that the psalmist meditates on God's word. Then the fourth thing we see is that this delight that the psalmist has isn't a fluctuating thing, but it's a devoted thing. The psalmist is really devoted to delighting in God's word. Uh, Verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. So both in the intensity of of how the psalmist is devoted to God's word, uh, his soul is consumed with longing, but also with consistency for your rules at all times. That's where we see the real devotion to delighting in God's word. And again, that is just entirely applicable for us as well when we think about, well, how, how, how do I treat what God has revealed to me? Am I dedicated to it constantly or only in times when I feel like I really need it or in times where I feel I've got time to take it in? Or have I got this kind of psalmist, all-consuming longing for God's word? Now, this one, I think, is a bit of a two-sided coin. Because we don't want to just be putting pressure on ourselves and putting pressure on us inwardly. Oh, we must do this or I've got to do this. It's all for me. Because that's completely against the message of the psalm. The psalmist is dedicated and devoted to God's word for the very fact he is delighting in it. And so our devotion must be fuelled by delight on one hand. But that goes alongside committing ourselves, setting our will upon Chasing down God, chasing down his word, chasing down his promises. So we see a great devotion to God's word by the psalmist. Uh, The fifth thing we see is the psalmist links delight in God's word to salvation. So verse 81, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. And as we were singing songs earlier about the salvation that God has brought, Um, this point just really came home to me. He's delighting in what God has revealed and he sees it as where he finds out about and where he can rejoice in the salvation that God has brought. Now, salvation for the psalmist at that point, he would have been aware of lots of things that may have enslaved him, may have been aware of enemies, may have been aware of those who oppose God. And because he had um, got the first five books of our Bible, he would have known the story of uh, Israel coming out of Egypt in the Exodus, and that would have been the real picture of salvation that the psalmist would have had. Now we've got a much bigger picture of what God's salvation looks like, because we have now seen what Jesus came to do. We have come to see what Jesus achieved through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. And we also have that testified, confirmed to us in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So the psalmist had this kind of partial picture of salvation, and we have got this the whole picture now. We know what God has done for us. We know that we are saved. And so as we, as we turn to scripture, the things we should be looking for, the things we should be delighting in, are those things that tell us of our salvation, so that we will sing out in those songs that we sung earlier. So we will and everything we read be thinking, wow, this is pointing to what God has done to me. What an incredible thing this is. And so like the psalmist, we can really link everything we see in God's word to our salvation. And then finally, the sixth thing I see the psalmist do in this psalm was in verse 32. He says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. And in verse 36 incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. And what the psalmist is doing here, he is appealing to God that he might respond to God in the right way. He recognises the weakness and limitation of his own heart and that he can't in his own strength respond to God and respond to God's word as he ought to. But he prays to God, God, make my heart bigger, enlarge my heart. God, incline me towards you that I may respond to you. And I just think that these are fantastic prayers for us to pray. What a prayer to ask God. God, make my heart bigger. Make me be able to receive more of you. Make me be able to understand your word more. Make me incline to your word rather than to other things. And so that's, that was the sixth thing that I saw the psalmist do as he delights in God's word. So he refused to separate delighting in God from his word. He accepted the totality of what God had revealed to him. He meditates upon God's word. He devotes himself to delighting in God's word. And he links delight in God's word with salvation. And he pleads to God to help him to respond as he ought to. But at this point, it's quite tempting to ask the question, so what? Why does all of this matter? What does it mean? And what I think is so fantastic about this psalm is the psalmist doesn't just leave it up there with his spirituality, but he really brings it down to earth, brings it to apply in his everyday life. So my second heading is applying the word of God. And again, I just want to look at some ways that the psalmist applies the word of God uh, to his walk with God and to his life. And think about how we can do the same. Um, So we're going to look at five ways that the psalmist does this. Um, So firstly, the psalmist sees God's word as a source of perseverance in his faith. The psalmist sees God's word as a source of perseverance in his faith. Um, Verse 92 says, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. So the psalmist sees that the road of faith is a hard one. He faces affliction. He faces trials. And he recognises without some help from God, he wouldn't have been able to get through this. He wouldn't have been able to make it to the end. And he locates the source of that help in the law of God. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. And I've found when I've hit hard times in my faith, when I've hit struggles in thinking, well, can I really keep going in this? Is it really true? Is God really going to come through to me? I found remembering the promises in the Bible, remembering the promises of Scripture, telling them to myself, preaching to myself almost, have been a fantastic strength of keeping going, a great source of perseverance. And as we were saying, we have got, we've got all of the Bible, we've got all of the promises in there that we can draw on, and it's just an incredible resource to keep going in our walk with God. And secondly, and um, quite similarly, um, the psalmist sees God's word as a comfort during times of persecution. The psalmist sees God's word as a comfort in times of persecution. Verse 150 says, They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. So he contrasts those who are persecuting him and their evil purpose, but the nearness of the Lord and the truth of his commandments that testify to that. Now, when we look at our church and when we think about our faith in this country, we probably most of the time, don't feel particularly persecuted, particularly when we put it in contrast with the, the terrible suffering that is going on in the global church today. When we look at Syria or when we look at North Korea or Saudi Arabia, there is intense and terrible persecution going on. And I think it's hard for us to grasp just how precious the promises of God and the word of God are to our brothers and sisters who are suffering. But one thing we really can do is we can pray those promises over them. We can take the promises we find in God's word and pray for him to strengthen churches who are being persecuted in those intense ways. But even if we are not experiencing that kind of persecution, all of us as Christians can expect to face opposition in our faith in some form or other. It might be opposition from family members who don't believe, It might be opposition from our work colleagues who just want nothing to do about hearing about Jesus or church. It might be that we feel excluded from various aspects of culture or the media because of our faith. And when we face that opposition, we can be comforted by God's words. We can be comforted by knowing that God has revealed himself to us. He has promised salvation to us. He has promised himself to us. And so we can draw on God's word as a comfort in times of persecution. And thirdly, the psalmist sees God's word as a warning to the wicked. Verse 155, salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. This is quite a hard way to think about God's word and his God's God's Revelation. But throughout this psalm, we see that there is a constant persecution of the psalmist and a constant idea that there is wickedness going on and people who are far from God's salvation. So what, what can be done about that? What are we to do with God's words to those who will not follow him, to those who will not worship him, to those who will actively turn their back against him? Well, the answer is we are to call people to repent. We are to call people to believe in God. Um, And we are to do that through proclaiming what he has revealed in his word. And that's a really hard thing to do. It's a really hard thing to speak of God's coming judgment. It's a really hard thing to do to say to someone, actually, you are not following God. God is not pleased with you. But actually, if we are to be faithful to what God has revealed, one of the things he has revealed to us is that we are to call people who do not follow him to follow him. And we see the psalmist do that. And that's taking the warnings of scripture as well as the promises and speaking them out into the world and maybe speaking them into our own lives if we are seeing any areas of sin and unrepentance. So that's the third thing the psalmist does with the word. He uses it as a warning Then fourthly, the psalmist sees God's word as the path of holiness. Uh, Flicking back to verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? And this is clearly uh, quite a personal question for the psalmist. It's something he's grappling with. You can almost hear him saying, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can we stay holy? How can we stay obedient to God? when there's so many temptations in the world, when we've got all of these temptations in us, and when Satan tries to lead us astray, against all of these forces, how can we keep our way holy? And his resounding answer is, by guarding it according to your word, by guarding our way according to God's word. Now, similarly to being devoted to God's word, this is a bit of a two-sided coin again. Because how exactly does God's word keep us from going astray? How exactly does God's word keep us pure? How does it keep us on the path of holiness? And well, one side of the coin is, as we start down the path of delighting, of cherishing in God's word and in God himself, God by his spirit will change us so that our desires change, so that we will be strengthened against these temptations, by having our own hearts changed by God and his word. But even if that does happen, the other side of the coin is we need to be actively involved in deciding not to rebel against God, in deciding not to bow to temptation, but taking the righteous path. So again, it's putting together this delight from God in our hearts, but also the active involvement of our will that will keep us on this path of holiness. Like the psalmist says in verse 9, So the psalmist sees God's word as a path of holiness. And then fifthly and finally, the psalmist sees God's word as a source of daily guidance. So if we look at verse 105, the psalmist says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I think this is a very beautiful picture. The psalmist sees God's word as something that is shining down on every step he takes every decision he faces, every dilemma, every relationship. He says, your word is a light. Your word will show me where to go. Your word will show me what's going on. Your word will help me understand because it is a light shining down on my path. And I kind of got this picture when I was preparing earlier um, about this verse and thinking, well, well, what would the alternative to that look like? What would the alternative to letting God's word shine down on our lives, look like. And I got this kind of picture of a really old and uh, musty map, which was all kind of smudged, and you couldn't really tell what was what, and you were trying to read it in the dark, and you almost had to deliberately turn your back on God and look at this little map, which didn't really say much. And I thought, why would you ever choose that? Why would you choose that way, when you can have God's light, God's wonderful word, as a lamp, to our feet. But again, it still has to be a JD choice we make because we know how easy it is to rely on ourselves. We know how easy it is to trust in our own wisdom. We know how easy it is to prefer that dark little corner to the bright light that God shines on our life. So the challenge really is, will we let God's light shine in this way? I'm sure there are lots of other ways in this psalm that the psalmist applies God's word um, to his walk. Um, But I think there would just be far too many to go through all of them. But the, the kind of message that all of them bring together is that actually the psalmist is looking to God's word to affect every single bit of his life. These five categories aren't kind of particularly special categories that I've pulled out, but they're just five examples of how a psalmist is letting God's word, letting God's revelation sink in and affect the whole of his life. And this can all seem a bit challenging. It can seem a bit overwhelming. It certainly does to me. And I'm aware that I've thrown out quite a few questions to us in terms of thinking about how we are responding to God's word. Um, but as that is the case, um, let me finish with a couple of encouragements as we as a church and as individuals um, try and step into this path of um, letting God's word affect all of our life and of delighting in God's word. Um, so my first encouragement is that God has already done all of the work. God has already done all of the work. He has spoken his word He has sent Jesus. He has given us the Bible. He has revealed his word to us. So our challenge isn't to try and um, work out what God's word is. It's not to try and make it powerful because God's word is powerful. He's already done all of that. So our challenge is to kind of step into this light of his word and to really take hold of the promises of his word and apply them to our lives. And then secondly, um, the second encouragement I want us to finish with is that sometimes we can get discouraged when we maybe don't see immediate change in our lives. Maybe we have deliberately spent some time really getting into God's word, really listening to God, really trying to see things change. And things just don't seem to happen and it can get discouraging. Um, But in Isaiah, God says my word will not return to me empty. He says he has sent out his word and it will not return to me empty. So if we are faithfully delighting in God's word and faithfully seeking to apply it to our lives, we can be confident that God will do something with it. We often can't see what that is, but we know that God is doing something with it and it is having an effect. So I really want us not to fear this challenge. I don't want us to fear failure in this challenge but rather I think it's a really exciting challenge about kind of stepping forward, delighting in God's word and kind of almost wielding this word in every situation in our life. It's what I see in the psalmist and that's what um, I hope I've encouraged us to see in our lives today. Um, Before I finish, um, let, let me pray for us in response to some of these things in this psalm. Father God, we thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that you love us. Lord, we thank you that you don't want us to wander through life lost or blind, but you want us to know your guidance. You want us to know your truth. You want to shine your light onto our paths. And Lord, I really pray that you would do that. I pray that we would really know that you are there and that your word is with us and that your scripture is with us and that you will guide us through it. And Lord, as the psalmist prays, we pray that you would incline our hearts towards you. God, we pray that you would turn our hearts away from things that would lead us away from you and your word. Lord, we pray, lead us away from temptations. Lead us away from sluggishness. Lead us away from fear. Lord, lead us, incline us towards you in everything we do. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.